So we're going to start off right away because there's a ton to talk about in the year that you forgot you forgot 2020 a potpourri recap of the best thing to happen to you in your life a brief history of power with two white guys a podcast to help you understand everything you need to know to live in these chaotic (laughs) crazy times dr adam coots pastor jonathan fisk and we're going to be looking at all the things that again like you forgot you forgot and maybe even some of the things you remembered you forgot and asked us to talk about right (laughs) well that's good that's good well i mean i i think i think probably the biggest thing that happened this year that nobody remembers at this point is that the president of the United States was impeached. I thought that was 2019. Well, it was 2016 through 2020. Right. There was this like Russia thing. I remember that. I think there was some news this year about how that was like actually bad. Like, like what was that? Uh, We know who did that and it wasn't Russia. Something like that was the, how it came out this year. Does that sound right? Totally. It was totally fabricated and we learned that because we learned about everything over the past couple years but culminating in january into february because the trial lasted the impeachment trial was about three weeks long Hmm. ending at the very beginning of february so this is because it's pre-covid kind of nobody remembers that this happened or is able to draw any lessons from it right because it all just kind of left turned right away right conveniently maybe even I, i don't know Who was it better for politically at that moment, Trump or his enemies? It's definitely better for Trump that it's completely forgotten in an election year because then his election performance is about how he handled COVID or how the stock market's doing or whatever, you know? Right, right. And I think think it's actually helpful to start from that angle because there's like this, depending on what you were following and, and what you were looking at in kind of late January... There was a two to three week gap in February where things that would later come to matter a lot, including black men being shot by police, COVID, none of that was really on the political table, but that was only two to three weeks between, say, the the first week of February and kind of the end of February. By the end of February, you have both COVID and Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia, although that didn't kind of blow up as a news thing. Charges were not pressed, I think, for another several months, but, but still pre George Floyd. Mm-hmm. So there is, if you, if you kind of zoom back to, let's say like Valentine's day or probably Super Bowl Sunday was somewhere around there too. If you went back to that life would probably be completely normal. You also still had six or seven democratic presidential candidates and Joe Biden was not anyone's first choice seemingly. No, no, would he ever have been all the way through no, even once he got no. the nomination from what I No, not saw. even close. <laughs> not even close. I mean, you were you were looking at a potential. I'm not sure Yang was still in by then. Tulsi was definitely still in. Bernie was still in. And you were looking at a showdown, kind of a classic one on the left. And this is going to be important, I think, for some other things we'll talk about later this hour. A classic showdown within the Democratic Party between Candidates very, very favorable to things like Wall Street, corporations, finance generally, and candidates that would push things that are sort of like a left-wing version of Trumpism. That is a left-wing populism. So Hmm. socialized medicine in the case of Bernie Sanders. And a lot of it, honestly, I thought 2020, this this is me being bad at predicting things. I thought 2020 would basically be a lot like 2016 in the sense that you would get some of the same sort of the same soup, 
but you know sometimes if the soup is very mixed and you put your you put the ladle down into the soup you come up with a bunch of tomatoes and not as much meat i thought maybe we just get a slightly different mix of the same soup so you'd you'd have some mixture of uh supporting trump is white supremacy bernie would i i i did i i did think and it did happen that bernie just completely sold out once again you know but but a lot of that has to do with the big difference i think in 2020 is a certain openness in how power has functioned this year that was not the case four years ago. Right. So if I can, what I'm writing down right now, as you say, that is the DNC political alliances got more open about maybe even how much they disagree, but didn't matter because they all agreed about one thing, which was a left-wing populism has to be the right-wing populism somehow, some way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and whereas with, with Clinton, the issue with Clinton and Sanders you know, and there were a lot of frantic kind of like Jacobin articles and um, Michael Tracy tweets four years ago about, you know, here's how Bernie can still win. And you kind of felt bad for them. At this point, they weren't really pretending that, oh, this is just the way that the, that the regular process works. So we have these primaries, but then in the Democratic Party, especially we have these super electors mm-hmm. whose votes count for more. And you probably Maybe you forgot that that was the case or whatever from 2016, but that's how it's set up. It's cut, it's set up pretty openly aristocratically. Right. So I want to I want to point out how much I have not forgotten that, just for the record, and, and how much <laughs> I am constantly aware that the Democratic Party has the least democratic process to put their presidential candidate forward yeah. because they, right. they strip everyone of their of their democracy and more or less I think show the hand of their entire. Uh, structure, agenda, power, platform as a party uh, and the lie that it is as a party. Now, I'm not going to say that the Republican Party is necessarily better in this same breath. I am simply going to point out that anybody who wants to say the Democratic Party is a party of freedom and democracy is a straight up liar until they get rid of superdelegates. It is just not. So there you go. I didn't forget. Yeah. And (laughs) well, and I and I and I think that um, one of the big differences between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party that you're seeing even in how they're behaving between, you know, in this sort of interregnum between election day, quote unquote day, and the inauguration of probably Joe Biden next month, is that Democrats behave as if they are in power. That is when they have problems, and they have a lot of problems for structural reasons I'd like to discuss. When they have problems, those are generally handled in favor of the people who are in charge of the party not necessarily the constituents of the party, which I think that's their biggest weakness is they have so many different constituents in a tremendously diverse America. They have a ton of different constituencies, but they will try to secure things. And you saw that in the most recent coronavirus relief bill. They'll try to secure things for each of those constituencies. Okay. They don't always deliver it, but they'll try to give them something. Right. So, so, so like, the, what was the one? Uh, the Smithsonian. And uh, I saw that the Rockefeller Institute uh, w- w- got a bunch of money out mm-hmm. of this last one this week. Yeah. So, so academia will get something. Wall Street will get something. Blacks as a political group will get something. Hispanics will, they'll talk about giving them something. They'll talk about, you know, legalizing dreamers and, and how they're going to do that when Biden comes in. They They do seem to attend to their constituencies. That is... They don't please everybody, but they do behave like a group that is in power. Hmm. 
Okay. I think that power is a lot more fragile than maybe we all thought it was at the beginning of the year, but we'll talk about that later. Republicans don't seem to behave like that. That is, Republicans, Republicans' base is much more simple and monolithic and clear. That is, it's basically, I don't know, 75% of white people, uh, including almost everybody who's white who didn't go to college. And besides that, you know, fringes from different ethnicities. But Republicans generally don't discuss that. And, you know, you're supposed to vote in the Georgia runoff so that Israel can be protected because, you know, the the uh, the black guy that's running. Now you're you're just sounding like a cynic. Now you're just a cynic. Well, (laughs) well, no, I'm not. I'm not a cynic. I'm observing that I think to their credit, Democrats behave as if they actually hold or could hold power. Yes. Republicans, Republicans behave like people who are beholden to donors, yeah. it seems. Yeah. Because they'll they'll say they'll say strange things that uh, kind of have everything that's wrong with the LCMS yeah. clergy is wrong with Republicanism. Ah, but, you know, we're, well, we are, not not coincidentally. We, right? we live in a constant fear of not having power, even though mm-hmm. we don't. Right. So it's right. like if I right. I'll, I'll I just I was going to sit here and blubber for a moment. I'm going to do everything I can to convince myself there'll be a way somehow I might not be afraid and then be afraid that when I got there, I might not follow through on that moment. This right. is Republicanism. Oh, no, we're here. Yeah. Let's not lose it by doing what we said we would do, accidentally upsetting the people who voted against us because we want them right. to vote for us next time. It's right. nonsense, right? It's nonsense. Right. Um, right. So that idea, I want to I want to shift back a second to yeah, not go sure. too far past how different life was in February. Mm-hmm. And how easy it is to to lose that, and something that I was in my catechesis teaching of my local congregation, the Sunday morning Bible study hour, pushing for the last year or two a a wake up to realize not that the U.S. government's broken per se, but just to realize that things aren't as safe as we think they are. That human mm-hmm. life is fragile. Uh, you know, we're we're afraid we're losing our kids to the culture, but we're not really kind of pushing back on this anyway. How would we survive if something really intense happened? Are you ready? Is your faith ready for that? And yeah. out of my mouth came the words, you know, have you heard of this COVID thing from overseas? This was back in like November or December, right? And I'm I'm starting yeah. to add, I'm yeah. using it as an example of of a zombie apocalypse, an impossible reality just to try to jar them to wake up. Yeah. And with my jaw hitting the floor, I watched it come to pass, right? Uh, and and to, to sit here a year later, almost, yeah. and think back to, oh man, me wanting people to think it through so that they could have a few different conclusions for their life, I would never in a million years have said, let's actually do it. But the fact is that doing it had that effect on a lot of people. And in that way, January and February this last year, as far away as they are, as nostalgic as they are, they're a, they're a millennium ago. They're last yeah, millennium. Right, right. They really are. Yeah. 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 Because when if you think about if you think about the Trump impeachment trial, right? To me, that encapsulates what has been of lasting value about the Trump presidency, because a lot of it can be overturned because it was based on executive orders. So it can be overturned by an executive order. Paris agreement coming fast. Yeah. All this sort of thing. Um, And, you know, Trump governed sort of like a typical Republican in some areas and everything. The lasting value, I think of a Trump presidency, whether it keeps going or whether it doesn't is the capacity he has to discredit the forces that generally control people's 
thoughts. Okay. Yeah. Not in a, not in like a, that, that we have all been turned into robots, but that the power, especially that media has is so incredibly strong that Trump shifted the narrative, not just from, okay, Republicans talk about tax cuts to now Republicans talk about immigration, but from, do I believe what I'm hearing versus don't I? And that, yeah. that, that, however, however, is where the impeachment trial should have set people up better for what happened with COVID. And it really did not. And it, and, it, and it did not even among people who were very politically or, you know, personally sympathetic to Trump. So for four years, roughly, you get a narrative that implicated lots of different people, but especially Michael Flynn, a narrative about how this country that can be sort of monolithically demonized and Russians, you can demonize Russians. You don't, you're not really allowed to demonize the Chinese. And that's part of stuff in February that I want to talk about, but you're allowed to demonize Russians. You're not racist because we think of Russia, even though it's Moscow might be one of the world's biggest Muslim cities just by hmm. population, but we think of Russia as a white country. So mm -hmm. if you dislike them, it's not racist. They're also traditionally, and this has worked really well, I think, for Boomer and Gen X voters, they're traditionally our enemies. Okay. Within living memory of the probably, if you take X plus Boomer together, an enormous voting demographic. And certainly right, if you're right. older than Boomer, you know, they all they remember is communism being evil. So Russia is the problem. Russia, Russia, Russia. This happened. That happened. The Russians hacked our elections. Mm -hmm. Okay. All by our, election, our election processes are subject to destruction. And the Russians did it to us. Trump stole the election. So they, these are pre-2020 ideas. Yeah. yeah. But, but in 2020, this finally gets us. Finally, finally, finally. At Rashida Tlaib you know, promised this in like 2018 when the squad came in. Finally, we got an impeachment trial. Okay, fantastic. So we don't have enough evidence to convict. So he's acquitted. All right. So the media is pushing this for years and years and years. Still are in some corners. They still are. <laughs> and and we have we have actual evidence that like, you know, Eric Swalwell and, and other, you know, kind of sad Midwestern mayors, lonely, lonely men. Are are at, like literally seduced by Chinese agents, but okay. So they were looking nothing... out for the Russians the whole time. They, they just didn't they see it coming. They didn't see they didn't see Fang Fang coming. So I I, I could be worse and talk about mail order, but I won't. <laughs> so it that, you know, isn't that I mean two hundred years yeah. ago. I'm sorry, that's who was doing it. Honestly, is is that yeah. kind of person? So anyway, sorry, that's a bit of a judgment. <laughs> so. What, what happens is the media builds a narrative for years and it is discredited be, simply because abiding by normative American legal processes, they, they cannot prove that the president, you know, committed treason or whatever, right? Okay, so now that's over February 5th, February 6th. Now, if I'm, if I'm beginning to get a different narrative, then I should, I should think, wow, why is this happening? And the thing is that February, February 2020 is really, I think, a crucial month because it's a month in which you can still hear a really wide variety of opinions, even officially, on things that are now very much set in stone. So the efficacy and point 
of healthy people wearing masks, certainly in public, is right. still allowed to be debated in February. Right. Um, Mask science is not a yeah. What what has uh, Twitter have it now? A, a whatever their warning is about about the elections under dispute, a topic under dispute. So you're right. not allowed to think about it till we figure it out for you. Yeah, th- thanks guys. <laughs> and you even get warnings in February that there's a mask shortage, which could have been possible. I don't know. And therefore, normal people who can't even who can't even use N95 masks the right way should not be ordering them. Mm. Doctors need them. Nurses need them. There's also a strange phenomenon that you get at the very end of February, stretching into early March, where if you look at the actions of Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, you will generally find what almost every other governor will do eventually, including mask mandates when social distance. But crucially, at, at first, it wasn't you have to wear a mask everywhere. You have to wear a mask if you can't maintain social distance. Right. But while he's doing that in New York, which still has this really disproportionate number of coronavirus deaths, right? And if we talk about coronavirus, some of one, a lot of the things that you and I say about vaccines and masks, you know, it's taken as like, you know, I don't believe it's real. Like, I think, it, I mean, if you just look at death tolls worldwide, you're talking about something that is like a really, really bad flu season, a different strain. Okay. So I'm not saying it, it nothing happened. What I'm saying is, you want to look at how it's being discussed. Right, because right, right, in, right. Go ahead. Let's just zoom around that to make sure, because what you, the way okay. you just said it, I, I could have misheard it, kind of like my, my off-color joke earlier. So, But this is probably a little more important. So when we say we don't think it's real, we want to make sure we, we're clear what is real and what is not. So let me, let me give you kind of my end of this, and then yeah. you can you can you know patch any holes I leave rather than putting you out on the line on it. So um, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that there is a virus that has killed some people by removing oxygen from their lungs in, in a pretty uh, strange and emphatic way. And it hits people in certain demographics more than others. But whenever it yeah. hits, it has some effects that are tough to pin down because they're so wide and varied. Uh, it is mm-hmm. a real catastrophe of a disease. Um, it is particularly harmful on those who have comorbidities such as bad circulation uh, and or high glucosis, uh, sugar, diabetes or, or insulin resistance kind of things. Right. Uh, women who are pregnant also might be in trouble, and then the elderly, of course. And the vast majority of the deaths in our numbers that are reported, of which I'm skeptical myself as to reporting, the vast majority of those deaths are those who are over 70 years old. So along yeah. with comorbidities, you also have an age factor. The same population group, by the way, who probably has been kept alive longer than they normally would according to their own physical, mental, nutritional condition because of other things like flu vaccines. And so they're not really in a healthy state. Their bodies aren't ready to fight and live in any survival of the fittest situation. So in that case, this disease is a very, very real thing. And when it came through, slowing the spread might even have been a good idea. But now we are all going to get it just like they told us in the beginning. And if you haven't yet, the only ones who might not have to live on islands to not. So, so you know, buckle yeah. in. Um, yeah. But what are they doing with it? That's right. a big question, like you yeah. want to get back to. Um, and if it is man-made, as I'm going to side with, this is I'm not making this stuff up. This is Brett Weinstein. That guy's a good name. He's, he's a scientist. He studies viruses. That's what he does. He thinks this is a man-made thing. And so your first round saw extreme action. And each round after this, it gets weaker and weaker. Now, at the same time, I know of at least one anecdote of somebody who 
in this you know this time period right now had a, has having a really really bad time of this virus and may die of it now this is extended second or third hand in my pastoral mm-hmm. ministry but mm-hmm. it is there and it is a real thing yeah that person is one person per, you know one person we right. have millions and millions and millions of people who are not getting this disease and so when we say it isn't real what, what do we mean that's where we, where we went off on this right? right what is real right what is not real that i'll go on on paper with you i think is there is not a pandemic making people die left and right from a, a radical disease um there is something that does cause some people to die and but to call it a pandemic, I think that's maybe where the lie really is. Yeah, that word historically is used for much bigger things than what we're facing right now, right? Right now, right now, especially right. And and when and what we talk about on here is not the virology about which both of us are amateurs, but about the effect that both the messaging and the legal, financial, military changes that have come about in the world because of this virus, which are observable and are the duty of anyone who votes or who thinks or who talks or who has a family at this point, which you may or may not be allowing yourself to see on Christmas. It's the duty of anybody that listens to this to think about these things and make their own judgments. So that's what we're talking about. And the issue here is that if you go back to February, because this is that's such a squishy time, you can still find people complaining, journalists, politicians, about how what coronavirus is really doing is it's increasing racism against Chinese people. Right, right. Go right. to Chinatown in New York and San Francisco and eat Chinese food, indoor dining, so that you can prove that you're not racist. Hmm. Now, interestingly, those little anecdotes do contain pretty much the two big stories that nobody can forget from this year, which are coronavirus and everything is racist, or specifically white supremacists, but those mean the same thing. So... What, what you can find if you go back to certain points in time are not just bits and bites and sound bites that show you that once they said this, now they're saying that. Of course, that's the case. The, the issue, I think, is the capacity that COVID has given our media and our governments worldwide to build up their power in a way that the, the only parallel for this for Americans is really to go back to the Patriot Act in 2001, hmm. which was ready to go, you know, roughly a month after the September 11th attacks, an enormous bill. And it allowed you to kind of offshore decisions about life to the government in a very big way, in a way that you had never done before. But because it was only air travel, it wasn't, you must put this thing on every time you leave your house. The effects were not nearly so drastic. I think the 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 great change now is the much greater reach into daily life and even into things like, will I ever see grandma again, that they feel free to make. Because now, let's let's say that Biden says after 100 days, okay, you don't have to wear masks, whatever, whatever, it, who cares? Now Thanksgiving and Christmas are optional. That is, normal life is now optional and narrative and going with the narrative is not optional. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in 2016, you didn't have immediate fact-checking of Trump tweets. Now you do. You're You're not really allowed to have normal life anymore. Normal life will itself become optional. And 
but you're going along with what you are told to believe about a situation is no longer optional because you could even go back and say, okay, well, I can find evidence of the head of the CDC talking about, you know, healthy people don't have to wear masks. And I can even find from only a few months ago that mass him saying masks are probably more effective than a vaccine, but now everything is about the vaccine. Right. Right. Because the messaging changes to fit whatever the needs are at the moment, which is where this gaslighting concept that uh, you know, I learned from Shapiro is one of the most valuable philosophical concepts I've learned for dealing with the news is just to take a note, write it down and compare it to last week to, yeah. to realize that if you're not comparing what you're hearing week in by week out or finding some sort of way to historically contextualize it, then you are being led by the nose. You, nobody is good enough on their own to pay attention well enough to see uh, the changes. It, it's right. quite, the, the tool is just too uh, manipulative for that. And, and by that, I mean movies, right? Just movies in general, any type of right. moving, talking picture. And there, there is a reliance on ignorance that is presumed in the way that these narratives are constructed, whether they're in fictional media or in news media. There is a presumption, probably right, about most human beings that they don't want to think too much. They don't have time to think too much. And uh, therefore, what I tell you in the present is what you will believe is real. That is something that I think is a technique needed especially for a situation that is is maybe more dire than we learned this year okay and that is that when we talk about things that seemed normal so if you go back to the impeachment trial you're still abiding by constitutional processes formally anyway you're not abiding by any sort of duty to inform the public legitimately about what they're about what the evidence is for anything but you are abiding by constitutional processes what you have now going on okay let's say biden is inaugurated you've now alienated a, an enormous section of the country mm. partly because of the q movement right not not talking about like the validity or invalidity of q but the q movement as a political phenomenon they are far more motivated and united than really anything you can find on the left. Now, yeah, so real fast, just explain that though. I mean, because I, I have a passing understanding of Q, mm -hmm. but to see the distinction between Q as an anti-Trumper, correct? Q is a, is, a, is a Trump insider who's not really a Trump fan, has been posting information from inside the whole time, and there's all these theories about what he knows, doesn't know, about secret stuff coming. That's what I know, so if that's wrong, correct it, please. Q is pro-Trump. Ah. Um, and what he's trying to explain is basically how this will all still work for good, how the good guys will win. The American government has patriots on the inside and they are working day and night. Most of all, General Michael Flynn, mm -hmm. which is why Flynn's Twitter is so important mm -hmm. to cue, let's say, believers. This tracks back to something that actually predates the Trump inauguration. And that is something called HLI, High Level Insider, which was a sort of proto-Q. It was Q before people knew that that was a thing or before Q was calling himself that. And if you look at HLI, uh, which you can find on the internet, I, I think it's called anoninfo.net. HLI, and those are just kind of transcripts from, I think, 4chan. HLI and Q both have in common a certain narrative about America that is not one that certainly I myself would promote. And that is that 
the government is severely divided and there is a faction of patriots, a, a term you find all over the place these days, patriots who want to do the right thing, who want to, if you go back far enough, build the border wall. But even at this point, Q, HLI's over. Q is saying, you know, we're going to, this is going to work out and Joe Biden will be punished and all this sort of thing and Trump will be president. And okay, the issue there is that it's building similarly a high level trust narrative about our civilization. Hmm. And I think one of the things that 2020 has revealed, and I mean, some of the things we could point out to you are, are fairly pedestrian. They said this, now they say the opposite. There are much bigger things going on here because I think that the country has, over the course of 2020, become a lot like the Democratic Party since 2016. Hmm. That is, it's low trust, it's fragile, and there's a lot at stake. It's extremely low trust, not just regarding the media, but even regarding daily life. I mean, we're having you know people flip out at each other because coronavirus and, and lockdowns and stuff have driven a lot of us into rather severe mental illness. Well, and, there, and there are people who think they're going to die if they come out of their house. And so they scream Correct. at people. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's, right. it's, yeah, it's the worst to me. Yeah. And, and so it has made us dysfunctional as a society, not just 2020, but 2020, I think has accelerated a lot of things that were cooking beforehand. Right. It has, it has made us disparate and sort of crazed in really an unprecedented way. We have street fighting in many of our cities. And a lot of this stuff often is not covered. I mean, a lot of people don't know about the the renewed chazes in Portland yeah, right, and Seattle. Right, right, right. Oh, man. Yeah, because that's I haven't even been retweeting that because I'm like, oh, again, and I gave up. I didn't even follow <laughs> right, it. I right, can't yeah, even right. take it anymore, right? Right, and, right. Okay, so you just, you just made me think of something that does summarize 2020 for me, and it is a, of course, it could all be wag the dog for all I know, but it is a, um, a, a street shot. looks like it's a phone of somewhere in New York City. There is smoke kind of in the air everywhere. There are people running. A guy is running through, chasing someone and shooting with a pistol. Pow! Pow! Mm -hmm. as he goes and there's a cop car driving right by slowly ignoring the entire thing mm -hmm. and that that to me was when i said okay whatever myth about this country i thought i believed i need to rethink it now yeah. and fast because yeah. that's a different thing than i grew up expecting from from 50 i mean I, I thought i'd get in trouble for like you know crossing the street wrong or something you know yeah jaywalking yeah, right, right. Yeah. i mean i was gonna be a good boy so that that capsulizes it for me and i think in some ways maybe uh, points to the um well, you said street fighting that's what made me think of it but the mental disparity that is happening um uh, in america uh, so let me let me throw this phrase in there and then sure. i mean we've got a lot of other stuff we want to get to that you want to get to too still but yeah, um sure. you, you said our civilization yeah. And increasingly, I'm just calling it the empire in my head. I really am. I mean, yeah. it's, it's the American empire. It's, it's, you know, if Alexander the Great is Britannia, you know, we are some form of uh, Ptolemy sitting down here with our, with our version of what could have been. And, and we're collapsing. Uh, we're collapsing under the freight of who knows what comes next. I'm not assuming mm -hmm. there's a Rome or a Carthage or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, but to just own it, that we're an empire that, jet, that that built its wealth off the failing of a previous empire and now is not proving itself capable morally of being up to the task of leading the world, frankly. Uh, it went to our heads and we're going to yeah. lose it. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree that we are an empire. In fact, the only thing that I'm completely OK with in that little great reset video that we talked about several weeks back 
is the idea that by 2030, the, uh, the world will be multipolar and America will no longer be in charge. I mean, like that has seemed obvious for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when I say civilization, I think I mean something deeper and bigger than our empire. That is the way, the way that we govern ourselves and since 1945 have largely governed the world rests on top of things that are much bigger than that. Right. So the rule of law and or logic the rule is of law, about to go logic. away too, right? Yeah, right. And <laughs> and even and even things like the configuration of New York City. So these are there there are philosophical things here. There are also things that are are are, are in the strictest sense of the word architectural or engineering realities of our civilization like the grid. And when you have state change or regime change, whether that takes a long time or whether it goes quickly, you often also have civilizational change. Yeah. Okay. That's not necessarily the case. You can look at certain ancient civilizations and say, okay, the Babylonians are in charge of Mesopotamia now, but farming still works the same way. Religion still works the same way. People go to work in the same places the way their great grandfathers did. It doesn't matter that much. Because our civilization is technologically and financially so incredibly complex and developed, and I think therefore fragile, mm -hmm. imperial change or regime change matters that much more because the credibility of everything is so caught up in the regime's capacity to govern. This is what concerns me most about the future. Absolutely. Is that the regime's fragility also means fragility for things like supply chains yep. to the I-95 corridor or the capacity for people to live at all in California because they cannot manage the land management choices that they've made in the past that they're now sort of having to deal with. They're also maybe refusing to fix things. Or uh, only fixing things in ways that won't yeah. work right now, but could work someday and right. things like that. Right. Yeah. And so those, those, those things that are sort of hard infrastructure, civil engineering questions about, say, like, how do you get power to California are interlocked with, they're not purely mathematical or scientific questions. They're interlocked with, do we have people that are able to do those jobs? How do we find them? Give you an example, right? If I get rid of standardized testing because standardized testing is racist, okay, what do I do if the person that I've put in charge is there because he happens to be Mexican, right. not because he's good at doing the job, but because he happens to be Mexican or Sudanese or whatever. The issue here is that if the regime is now making choices on a basis, which does not favor logic or safety or, or math. Let's just call it a religious basis while we're at it. While they're making decisions yeah. on a religious basis with the zeal and fervor of high priests, what happens? <laughs> <laughs> what happens is now I'm going to have not just regime problems, but but basic civilizational problems. These are sort these are the sorts of things that, in a case where racism as kind of the ultimate devil took over in South Africa, we're not debating South Africa's history, but it's very obvious. And whites are a big part of the infrastructure there. The city of Durban cannot provide itself with water any longer. Hmm. Okay. So the issue is that no matter how evil you think that engineer is on the basis of what he looks like or whatever, can he do his job is the real question. And our civilization is something deeper and more important to the average human being than the regime and how the regime functions. 
some of the stuff that I talk about, I don't expect most people, I mean, we have great listeners and they're very intelligent, but I, I'm surprised even that some people listen and care about how the electoral college works. I think everybody should care about whether or not you can provide a city with water and sanitation and food. And those are the things that I think are much more fragile maybe than any of us realized. Yeah. Because because I in I'm addition to the power that government and media have demonstrated and displayed and kind of exercised this year, you also see a lot of the things that they're not nearly as good at as maybe all of us thought. Now go go with some of those. Well, because if you think about you go back to March, you go back to April, you had a you had a narrative that was not quite I think on point about what was actually at stake. What is at stake when everyone stays at home is that things that need to happen don't happen. And so we got discussions for a while. We were interested in the mental health of children. Generally, we're not told to be anymore, even though they're staring at screens. Now they've been staring at screens basically for 10 or 11 months. With masks on. With <laughs> In some places, man. In some places. Yeah, but I think one of the things that happened is that you got the meme about what was wrong with supply chains was all about toilet paper, which was if someone picked that and I'm not, I don't, I mean, sure, maybe it was real. The issue is, was that the, was that the thing that you want to talk about? We it was did what people we, talked about. Cause I mean, where I was, it just happened. And so it was like, yeah. and honestly, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to defend it, but when I heard people talk about it, basically it was like the people who are stockpiling are stupid. What are they doing? You know, this, yeah. this right, didn't right, right. help. Yeah. But, but so that's you, where, to me, it just so, it yeah. shows you how, yeah, it's going to get really bad because panic doesn't lead to organized good decisions that help no. everybody, right? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I think what was interesting about it was they weren't talking about the things generally on the outside of the supermarket that actually are nutritious and keep you alive. They're talking about something on one of the middle aisles that is you know, if you've ever been camping, strictly speaking, not necessary. Hmm. So when they're talking about supply chain problems, they're not even talking about food. It's sort of like they'll talk about health and safety and blah, 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 blah. But the answers to that are wear a mask, wash your hands, stay away from other human beings. They don't talk about sunlight or socialization right, or exercise. Right, right. So the issue here is that even when the thing in that there is actually something real and civilizationally imperative that is going wrong or going awry, falling short. Right. So the, the lack of good advice in the midst of the news. I mean, and if this doesn't tip you off to how much is wrong about COVID and you're like, you're, you think we're both crazy nuts, there is no good advice about your health coming down. This, this is a time when your own health situation, how you live daily, what you eat, if you breathe good air, uh, how overweight are you? These things really matter. And there's none of that. None right. of that. Rather, there's a race to a right. pharmaceutical cure. Which allows the casino to keep operating, and we can keep you know growing ears and tails like donkeys until this whole thing falls into the sea, and we'll, we'll be happy that way. Right. Um, the lack of good advice. Okay, so uh, there was a proverb I was pondering in the last couple of weeks, and I, I can't, I didn't memorize it, so I don't have it off the top of my head. But it was along the order of that when you as a king or you as a leader would make an agreement with somebody else in which you uh, you give up some of your integrity to make that agreement. You know, you, you scratch each other's backs. It gets the job done in the moment, 
But what it does is it literally just decreases your integrity and makes you more willing to make another consolation later to go against what you believe to be right later. And that right. the idea would be that this would scale over time. So let me suggest that right now what's happening is at the upper echelon of our elite, nobody ever tells the truth. Ever. They only withhold and tell only as much as they can or have to to try to angle for what they're trying to do. And as a result, right. when things fall apart, it is nuts because they're throwing all sorts of weird curveballs at each other constantly. Yeah. And, and this is just the political discourse. Like, I'll throw this back. I think I maybe even said this last time. You know, this is uh, Kamala Harris's answer. You know, how can you run as the VP candidate for somebody who you called a sexual predator? Oh, that was a debate. See, exactly. See, all you do is lie. You're okay with it. You have no problem. Yeah. And even right. if it's subtle. And let me suggest our whole civilization is at this level now, too. It's not just yeah. the elites. Not just the elites. Self-lies that have bent just enough. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're right. You're right. Because I think the issue here is that, and I, I our listeners are both highly intelligent. They also, I, I, I've seen them get hammered for saying things that we've said here. Hmm. And one of the things that they, get, that they get labeled as is a conspiracy theorist. And the reason that's completely wrong is because what I'm saying is not that there is any sense of organization, that you wouldn't have to lie continually if you had some idea of where you're going with this or why you're doing this. Right? <laughs> um, you have to lie continually because you're trying to run something and you have no idea what you're doing and no sense of a larger purpose because generally in the Western world, you have been stripped of any sense of higher purpose or meaning in life. <laughs> you are thoroughly secularized. There's nothing for you. And we have all been demoralized in that way to the extent that the fear of death, even in the face of something much less virulent than the medieval black death, the fear of death has overtaken us to an incredible degree. Mm -hmm. We we live in constant fear that we won't be here anymore. And it's not actually different for the people that write news stories or get elected to office. They're not that different from us. Right. A conspiracy theorist, like go look up Lyndon LaRouche, who I think is one of the inspirations for whoever is putting first high-level insider and Q on the internet. Lyndon LaRouche was maintaining as far back as the 60s that the British monarchy was, in, was basically running the modern world and America had to oppose it. That might sound completely stupid. The important thing here is the structure of a conspiracy theory is that someone actually knows what he's doing. And you're saying he's doing it and he's malevolent. Hmm. I'm saying they may or may not be malevolent. They don't know what they're doing. 2020 reveals this because they cannot maintain basic control over major cities. And there is no such thing as a civilization in any historical timeline anywhere that doesn't have large urban areas. Right. <laughs> There's no such thing. That's called, that's called a, you know, a rural highland people, a pastoral people, a nomadic people, steppe civilizations. Okay, they don't have cities, but we do. <laughs> and if they can't maintain just basic control over city centers, they have long-term strategic problems. So you're saying then that the loss of control in the streets of these cities, although a result of democratic policies and used by them to promote their election, nonetheless are not what they really want to have the results be, and they don't know how to stop it. Yeah? Exactly. Yeah, yeah because, because there's, I, there's a difference between saying they're politically opportunistic and savvy. So – 
if they see this happen, here's how they're going to spin it in the media. Okay. And an increasingly small percentage of Americans will even hear that, let alone lend it credence. Okay. But the ones that do lend it credence are going to believe it probably a lot more fervently than anyone in 1981 believed hardly anything that was said on the TV. Hmm. Okay. Because I think probably the biggest thing that's going to come up in future years are the rise of what anyone with a brain would recognize as new religions. Right. But, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think I think that's exactly this to some extent, that the mainstream way of imbibing media, uh, of just kind of sitting and, and suckling on it, will reveal itself as a religious thing of a sort, of a, a mind yeah. hive group. I mentioned language last time as well as one way to go at it, but the you, you see it in like... If you just don't watch TV, you have the people who are like, well, I don't watch TV either. I just watch Netflix. I'm like, yeah, okay. So so you're lying to yourself. You watch TV. <laughs> um, right. I don't watch TV, yeah. right? And But if someone yeah. actually understands that, that you don't do that, then they suddenly get very defensive. Well, right. or do you think yeah. you're better than me? Right? And, they, and, and that's how I know yeah. it's a religion. Like the moment you're offended that I do something different than you, you're religious about it, right? Right. Uh, yeah. And there's a reason right. why you should be, honestly, if it is your religion. But to, to own that, the springing of new religions that will come up, the merging of them with tech or tech promises, particularly. We've talked about the singularity here before uh, and that kind of stuff. Does that have anything to do with the uh, the NBA and the China virus with markets uh, or Hollywood, Hong Kong? Oh, Hong Kong. Hong yeah. Kong. We didn't even see well, it happen. Golly. We did. We, we didn't see it happen. And Hong Kong is an interesting example of something like this, where you can't let go of a major city with no consequence for your civilization. Okay. And the Let's fact not assume that, the, that everyone knows what happened. Can you just say what happened? Well, well, what <laughs> happened is the Chinese, uh, the, the Chinese have since 1997 exercised functional political control over Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. The difference is that in 2020, Hong Kongers attempted something like they have attempted over the years since 1997, which was a reassertion of this concept of two ways. Mm -hmm. That is that it's a single united nation, but Hong Kong is allowed to pursue its own way, which is more openly democratic and has a different financial relationship to the world's institutions and stuff like that. And this year it didn't work. Why? Because... Mainland China, which we'll talk more about in the year to come, does have long-term thinkers, at least some of them, in charge of its politics okay. and its business. That was great. You answered the why question, but I just want more like the, the nuts and bolts materialist version. So how did that get accomplished this year in a way that no one even noticed? I mean, Hong Kong was a free city and now it's not, is sort of yeah. what just what happened. Well, it was a matter of weeks. Right. There's, there's for one, there is the notion that protest... In Hong Kong, it was in favor of democracy. In the United States, it was in favor of Black Lives Matter and other things. The notion that protest is organic and just works and is an expression of the will of the people is, is kind of silly. If you look at the signs that were used in the Hong Kong protests, tons of them were in English. There's English in Hong Kong, but a lot of them were like targeted at Americans. Hmm. So... All of this is more interrelated, at least in media, than anyone thinks. What the mainland Chinese government was able to do was both to suppress protest and to nullify democratic realities and democratic demands, mm -hmm. which in the past they had sometimes capitulated to in certain ways without completely giving up control. Right. Now, those things are just 
politically illegitimate. Yeah, just like elections for the president. It's the same scenario. You just well, described it. It's amazing. Yeah, you really yeah, did. right. And I and I think I think that the difference is that mainland China is more forthright than our regime for a variety of reasons is able to be about when and how it's exercising power. Yeah. It just does it. And if you want if you are the regime and you want a protest to go away, unless you are about to collapse, that protest will go away. Mm-hmm. You will make it go away. And I think our regime still does have the power to make things go away. You can look at the difference between how they've handled, for instance, the autonomous zones in Portland or Seattle versus what they do with like anti-COVID protesters. Mm -hmm. Similar in Germany with, you know, they're not wearing masks, so they spray them with cold water in fall in Berlin, you know, which is... Just about the best thing they could do to get them sick. Yeah, Yeah, right. So so when when a regime understands what it wants and pursues that goal, because it is a regime, that is, it reigns, it will get what it wants. And in the case of Hong Kong, China did. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Uh, so NBA, do you want to touch on NBA before we go past that? Yeah, yeah. The significance of the NBA is a pivot that I think is something you're going to see more and more in years to come, where... And if you live in flyover America, you probably already feel this way, is that you are not the target of even what your own institutions are necessarily doing. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So the NBA is much more sensitive to the opinions of the Chinese government in the same in in the same way that Hollywood is pretty responsive to China because of the market size of China. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. In a way that the NBA and other major sports and certainly maybe for its whole existence, Hollywood are not nearly so respective, uh, um, respectful to or responsive to the concerns, the opinions or the morals of the average American. Right. Because we won't. See, this is amazing. It's because we don't say no. So, right. so China says no, and they're like, oh, I guess we have to change to make money. Then we will, because that's what we want to do is <laughs> right. make money. We're like, yeah. you, don't, you don't have to change to make money, whatever you want. And they're like, we'll do the worst evil things we can do that sell. Okay, here we go. You know, <laughs> if we would just have a little chutzpah, I, I don't remember which book it was yeah. in. I wish I did, but it, the idea is that – I think it might have been the Outsiders book um, or Outliers, Outliers, that a small group – like a group that wants kosher food can actually control the food processing for the group that doesn't because it's cheaper to just do it all for the small group, right? So anybody who draws a line in the stand, hello, Christians, Lutherans, anybody with some conviction and chutzpah these days, stop backing down, draw a line in the sand because that's the only way to stand. Uh, I don't know why or where the limp-wristed thing has come from, but we really do have to face that. Um, uh, Yeah, I remember speaking of Jews and speaking of not being limp-wristed, I remember seeing Hasidic Jews using bolt cutters to open a playground in New York City. Cuomo, we talked about him once already. Yeah. Can we get his name again for 400, Alex? Here we go. (laughs) Well, the, the difference between Hasidic Jews and Lutherans is that Hasidic Jews know what they want. And in a sense, it's a lot it's a lot less than what Lutherans are asking for, which is mainstream approval and understanding that you're normal, just like everybody else. Hasidic Jews, like the Amish, don't care. Right. What they do want is just to do what they want for the good of their community. So in in getting playgrounds opened, I mean, Hasidic Jews, especially in Brooklyn, a couple different Brooklyn neighborhoods, ran into big problems with Cuomo hmm. throughout the year because they refused to stop gathering. Okay. Synagogue, um, you mean? 
synagoguing. That is the right? word. The word I think is technically that is the word. The word. Yeah. And what's interesting about this is that they they live in a a very blue coastal metropolis hmm. where in a lot of other groups, Lutherans, Roman Catholics, whatever that have non-mainstream convictions about say the shape of the family, whether or not babies are humans before they come out of the womb, those groups just kind of let entire regions of the country go or even reflect, tell themselves that like what Andrew Cuomo is saying is best. Mm -hmm. Hasidic Jews don't let Andrew Cuomo tell them what's best. So they continue doing what they want to do. That is fascinating because you're only demoralized by the playground being shut down because your children playing outside are obviously disease vectors, just like seeing grandma at Thanksgiving is going to kill everybody. Okay. You're only demoralized if you let yourself be demoralized. Right. If someone comes yeah. up to me on the street and starts screaming at me about a murder I committed 14 years ago somewhere in Alabama, and I know I've never been to Alabama and 14 years ago, I was certainly not capable of committing a murder. I just disregard it. Or I say he's crazy. I'm not worried about it. I'm not demoralized by someone telling me something I know is untrue. So going into 2021, why would you let yourself be demoralized by a liar? Hmm. Why? I mean, hmm. what is the point? Do you want to live this way? The, the thing that it relies upon is your credulity. It only matters as long as you believe. If you start thinking of it the same way that you think of you know, North Korean media or <laughs> Soviet media, then you don't have to care anymore. And you can be happy. Although what Maybe, does happen is you find out yeah. that there's a lot of people who think you're a weirdo and that you're not listening to the right well, gods, right? You know, totally. And you just have to accept that if you're Amish, you're going to be weird, but you're going to be a lot happier than the average American. But before we move to the Taliban a little bit, I, I want to again say, so from my own end on this, as a, a local real world community organizer, that's what you call a pastor. He, he organizes people locally in the community. Um, I have found that the the true offense against public health in all of this has been the number of things that have been done to the public to ruin their health in order to save them from dying. And that has bothered me increasingly and increasingly more so. Uh, we recently had a new infant come into the congregation, and uh, I, I'm, the infant doesn't wear a mask just yet, even though during the congregation we're still following the governor's request. We haven't really gotten into it on this one yet because we have a lot of diverse opinions in the congregation. But I tell you, I don't want to let them put a mask on that poor little baby. And at some point, I know they're going to try because the last the world's telling them to do. And that's not good. That's going to hurt. Yeah, that baby needs that right. oxygen. Don't do this, right? And um, so I don't know. I don't know where it's going to pull over for me, but when your suspension of disbelief, when, when does that bubble pop, right? Whenever you sit down to watch anything on TV, you must suspend your belief system. You must go in a vision to another place and stop paying attention to what is in the world around you. Uh, and then you must, to some level, allow the storyteller who you are listening to, the talking head or the picture, whatever it is, 
to convince you that what it is saying is a true possibility. Even if it's a fantasy, it still has to hold together by its own rules. But it Mm -hmm. asks you every single time to suspend belief long enough and trust the storyteller. And most people don't have the conviction or the thought process to five minutes in say, now, what's been said to me and how much more should I listen to this? Should I let this storyteller be trustworthy? And now what what you're saying and what I'm saying too also is that at a certain point, uh, once that that storyteller is no longer trustworthy not only just you just can't listen to it anymore it almost becomes dismissible it, it is like it's like a yammering you know demon and yeah. a pig and you, you just kick it go away leave me alone right. but then right. again other people are still you know bowing down to the pig so in, in, in i care about those people i yeah. want to i want to have you know logical rational conversations with them about good things for our community so there's still a, a, a pressure point there for me I don't know. Respond to that or take us to a Taliban, uh, whatever you want to do. We're, we're at 3 o'clock, so I'm, I'm happy to talk all afternoon at this point. Uh, actually, yeah. no, I can't do that. Um, <laughs> well, maybe I can. I can be. I can keep keep going. Talk about Taliban. I, I, I think that the thing that you saw revealed this year was sort of the liturgical nature of our religion, of our media-given religion. That is not just that there are narratives and that they're mutually conflicting and that they're absurd or that they're destructive, but they fundamentally make you a lonely person and they are delivered best inside isolation. That's when you are most vulnerable to them, right? So, you know, (laughs) the way that they inculcate this is even by saying like, well, what you naturally do when you're in quarantine is you you stream shows on Netflix. (laughs) So they 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 give you to understand that the way that you're gonna learn the doctrines, the way that you're going to be catechized is while you are alone. And if you gather with other people, that will be dangerous. If you get together with them for a reason that is dictated traditionally, rather than through media, such as the doctrines of Jesus Christ, or American history in the case of the 4th of July or Thanksgiving, that will be dangerous because that would mean that you would be rooted in something that doesn't have to do with how the priest tells you to think when he comes through your screen. Hmm. And that is, that is just the liturgy. This, that's how this works. It works through screens and it works in isolation. So this is not really about information. Like if, if the listener can't give me six good reasons why you know, what happened in Minneapolis uh, happened the way it did. I don't really care. I don't need you to become a, a, you know, a genius and have this insane command of forgotten news stories or something. And we can debate, you know, what the timeline actually was and what exactly happened in Wuhan and why were there military games there and, and who was on those flights. It doesn't, it really truly doesn't matter because when a religion is forming, it will show you more clearly as time goes on what it itself is in distinction to other things. And our media's religion, which is therefore kind of our common, that's like our state church, is delivered through screens in isolation. That's how the liturgy functions. That's how you receive its benedictions and its curses. Have you heard the idea that all the religion that we're talking about emerging or the current religion of the world as a global religion is humanitarianism. Have you come across that notion? I haven't because probably just because we're looking at different stuff, but also because I think what I just said also describes Q. Mm, Interesting. Well, I mean, 
it's not that they would be against each other. The only reason I ask is because, okay, so Dr. John Bombaro, you familiar with his name? Yeah. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine, and I had him on the show on Saturday to talk about woke culture, and he, he said a, a lot of really good things. But he talked about how humanitarianism uh, is effectively the, the UN, he didn't say this, but UN created religion that has infiltrated every level of Western civilization. So no matter what religion you are in, humanitarianism you can't speak against. If someone comes up with humanitarian reasons for you to stop your religion, you, you generally will. And that's kind of what just happened. We watched it yeah. just happened, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I've just been, since he said that Saturday, I've been pondering it. I, I don't like it because it's like, hey, everybody, the, the thing of the religion you got to worry out for is called humanitarianism. Listen to me. I'll give you bullet points on it. Like, that's not going to help anybody, right? So, but, but there's something to this. The liturgy of the zeitgeist is getting you to want to help humans who are far away from you and to believe the highest human need is to make their world better without God's help. And that idea drives everything, even a lot of, well, Christian churches and Jewish synagogues and, and whatnot. And, you know, I don't really care about the religion for the sake of this podcast so much as to see the mounting trust in this one thing um, that can congeal into, you know, historically when it congeals, whenever we try to, to save the world by building it perfect, we tend to kill lots of people in the process. And th that's just my read on history. Feel free to counter that and, and take yeah. us in another direction. We got to get to the yeah. Taliban still. <laughs> I think I think that human I, I think that that idea is is certainly true, and you can see it for many years now in Western countries. I think that the shape of the future will be slightly different because one of the things that I think the Democratic Party in the United States and and many other left wing parties in other Western countries is that although they lie about male and female or whatever, they are fairly straightforward about the mutual conflicts of the interests of their constituents. And humanitarianism relies on a certain universalist ethic, a sense that because someone is human, this is what should happen. That is not in fact prevailing in politics in Western countries. Instead, They'll tell, they'll tell you about nationalism and the biggest terrorist threat in the United States is white nationalism. But what you see in actual operation in mostly left-wing politics, but also in right-wing politics, especially if you say, okay, well, the reason we're going to put Nikki Haley forward is because we have a lot of affluent Indian American voters at this point. And, and it, I, I think, it's, I think it, it sort of trivializes it to call it identity politics is that you have a resurgence of the concepts of not just race, but even ethnicity and dynamics within those racial and ethnic groups, such as caste in, within Indians employed by various Silicon Valley corporations that is much more complex than I'm helping people who are far away. Hmm. That is, we, we have something that is increasingly irrelevant. We have still this idea that I should help people who are far away and I should do this hypothetically good thing that I've never done before, like not see my family at Christmas so that I can do this and that and I'm a better person for it. I don't really think that's convincing to everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think that some of the actual conflicts that you do find, such as are white males who are gay, where do they fall within the progressive stack? Because if they're cisgender, they could be almost as horribly oppressive as like a, a heterosexual Republican white male. And 
those conflicts are the things that happen in places like Los Angeles and New York, one party states, that I think if we're getting to a point where electing a Republican president is becoming increasingly just impossible. actually, actually impossible. Yeah. We're dealing with mutual conflicts that will be relatively unprecedented, but we did see something like this in 2020, but it was in France. Hmm. And that was street battles in Lyon and other places between different Muslim immigrant groups. So you're dealing with both unprecedented levels of government control and, and narrative control, but you're also, and I think this is going to be just as significant for the future, in Western countries, you're dealing with governments that are increasingly unable to control either their own political coalitions in certain cases or their constituent base groups in certain places. That is that we are not able, the regime is unable to deal with the civilization that it has built. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, you got the roads, but they're falling apart. Uh, at least that's the way it is around here. Yeah. So Taliban, I, Taliban, Taliban. Well, I keep, the, I keep... The, ta the Taliban is significant for at least two reasons. And I want to do sort of the depressing one. And then I want to do the one that is maybe a little weirder to think about, but what, but will hopefully give people something new to conceive of. A, a, a positive Christmas Taliban thought. A Sounds... positive Christmas, you know, yeah. New Year's Eve thought as is traditional, as is our custom. The depressing thing is that after almost 20 years, going on 20 years, we have neither resolution nor victory. The Taliban is still there, like they were before we invaded in 2001, when I was approximately you know, three or whatever. Uh, maybe a little older than that, but not, but not too much older in the whole scheme of things. And we are negotiating, and a lot of this is sort of stalled, because one of the things that was always dishonest about our regimes in both Iraq and Afghanistan, such as they are, such as they were, is the reality of ongoing ethnic interests, which are to some extent, especially in Iraq, aligned with differing religious interests. And having a unified state with that much diversity is always going to be difficult. So the depressing thing is that that's still not resolved. And that's not really something anyone has talked about this year. It's not something a lot of Americans were even aware was going on, that we were in peace talks with the Taliban. Yeah. And so, well, it, does that have to do with the fact that Trump has been bringing guys home in general? He has been bringing guys home. That was always part of the talks were negotiated, you know, troop drawdowns. The issue is that he has been consistently prevented by Congress as well as by resistance within his own administration at times. And this is, this is a story throughout his administration from actually just leaving entirely from getting everyone out. Right. Cause there's other groups he can't uh, commander in chief out and then you can't right. leave them to die or something like that. Right. Well, it's also the, it's also the case that after such a long time, lots of people have some interest in continuing yeah. to engage in those places. Yeah. 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 Of course, yeah. there's, I'm sure, a few businesses involved and, in that. And, you know, like, like when, we, when, we, when we left Vietnam, South Vietnam altogether, that initiated both a, a massive drop in defense spending as, as well as just enormous confusion, both inside the Pentagon and among contractors about what do we have these weapon systems for? What are we doing? And a lot of how our casino works is that the roulette wheel has to keep spinning. And when the wheels stop, and there's kind of like less noise on the casino floor, 
everyone is confused about what he's even doing there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Silence. Silence in a room that's full of noise will make everyone stop talking. Right? Yeah. It, it, it terrifies it, people. Yeah. 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 It terrifies them. Um, what's, the, what's the good news about the Taliban that will not terrify us? The good, the good news, especially if you live in a mountainous area, but maybe just generally, oh, yeah. is that if you if you have enduring group interests that you are seeking to preserve, even a vastly lower level of development and technology, even of weaponry, is not an insurmountable obstacle to survival. Hmm. The Taliban has strangely endured through an attack by what, if you go back to the 1980s, when the Russians were fighting mm. <laughs> the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, the, the Mujahideen, including bin Laden, were our friends, mm-hmm. as Saddam was at the time as well. And now they're our enemies, and they have been for two decades, going on two decades, and they have survived all of those things. So they survived onslaughts by the Soviets as well as the Americans. And they have done that basically by, and not saying they're, they're good people, okay? But they have done that by having group interests and pursuing them and not betraying one another so extensively or believing what they're told by other groups. Right. So there's so a certain level of conviction, yeah. trust, and resistance to messaging that they yeah. would have, right? They, they, they have to. Yeah. They absolutely have to because they, they lost power, right? They, they were kicked completely out of power by the American invasion. They were in control of the country, and then they weren't. Wow. And here they are, 19, going on 20 years later, negotiating with the very same country that kicked them out 19 going on 20 years ago. <laughs> so one of the one of the things to take away from this is that individuals may or may not survive, but groups actually can. Mm-hmm. Uh, ideas, because they're dangerous, even though the president-elect doesn't seem to know that. And I just yeah. got to say that again, ideas, yeah. Yeah. ideology. Um, so... Here's some comments from you posted in our in our discord, you know, that we're going to be doing a potpourri uh, summary and asking yeah. what people want to hear about. And there was some old there's some new. Uh, there was this one question that's really kind of up to date. And he's asking about Walmart rejecting credit and debit card purchases if you're shopping outside of your area zip code, at yeah. least in Maryland and South Carolina. And then the same uh, gentleman came back in later and and got confirmation from this from the Bank of Delmarva, uh, whatever that means. So, I, I mean, I don't know, uh, real-time news, we're taking yeah. it from you, but would that, what would that even mean? Why would they do that? Well, you're dealing with something where what is politically mandated is going to be enforced through corporations. And this is, I think, the shape of a lot of things. It has a lot of resemblance to China's social credit system, in the sense that you will be punished for spending your own money in ways that are not approved of. Okay. Mm. But it has a particularly American shape in the sense that I don't generally constitutionally, our political entities do not have the capacity to mandate a whole lot about life. What they rely on is both quote, voluntary compliance and incentivization. So, okay, you don't, you don't ever have to submit to a potential strip search, but you can't get on an airplane. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
And so what they're doing with, in this case, according to our listener, rejecting you know, your purchase because you're from out of state is taking your personal data, which they've had for a long time. Thank you, Ed- Edward Snowden and many other people for mm-hmm. just making that super clear. <laughs> they're taking your personal data and they're going to use it against you because it appears that you are somebody who is breaking certain mandates for you know not traveling between certain states. It also, this is an interesting case where borders were always enforceable. You should never treat human population movement, whether it's individuals between states visiting their families, I think in this case, or entire people just moving thousands at a time from Africa to Europe or whatever. South America to North America. Yeah, these are it's not like a tornado, okay? You're you're constantly told that human population movements are are kind of like just waves or or tornadoes or just natural occurrences. That's not how this works. <laughs> they can enforce that you're not allowed to come from South Carolina to Delaware or Maryland if they want to. They just generally haven't cared or in the case of the states of the United States, you know, this may be unconstitutional itself, but in any case, Borders were always enforceable. They just often generally don't want to. Yeah. What do you think is the end of of it being sort of an East Coast thing, though? I mean, I I haven't heard of any of this out out here. Yeah. I mean, it's really not helpful as long as we are in the same polity to think about things, I think, too regionally, because not only are our elites interconnected by things like travel that have never been completely shut down. And, and by common background, right? You have to go to certain law schools to get on the Supreme Court. But there, we're also interconnected just by virtue of being in the same polity. So if Andrew Cuomo does something or the state of Maryland does something, it probably will start there, right, but right. it probably won't stay so there. So it's like a test. Yes. A little test run. Hmm. Yeah. Um, what was your, your sharing of the, the throwback tweet, February 11th, 2020, does the plague of Wuhan pretend the end of Xi Jinping's mandate of heaven? Um, <laughs> talk about that, that was a little just, bit. That was just kind of fun because uh, that is precisely the opposite of what happened this year. China, whatever actually occurred with their lockdowns, and I don't know what I believe and and who was undergoing a cytokine storm on the streets of Wuhan in January or was not. I don't know. I mean, if you wanted to get I, rid of a certain class or group of people, this might be yeah. one way to do it. I don't know what I even know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But what is kind of hilarious about this throwback tweet is that the, the journalist thinking was coronavirus is an existential threat to the Chinese regime. Yeah, right, right. And nope, okay. nope. It it may prove it may prove to have been an existential level occurrence for our regime. Mm. But the Chinese are not no longer building high-speed train infrastructure to captive provinces that will enable, you know, Han Chinese to resettle in places like Xinjiang and Tibet. It's not like they stopped doing that this year. Right. Okay? We have stopped being able to control our city centers, probably, but they haven't stopped being able to control Hong Kong this year. So the throwback tweet is just hilarious because the prediction is so completely the opposite of what occurred. Right, 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 right. So what about uh, Robert Redfield, uh, back and forthing, uh, hero, villain, not Fauci, mass, CDC, something, Yeah, that's the the CDC head, and, and for whatever reasons... 
according to central casting, he was not picked as the face of Corona resistance to, you know, Trump insanity and Trump denying science. But, you know, that that role fell to Fauci. But Robert Redfield, head of the CDC, Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta, you know, saying that healthy people don't have to wear masks back in February. Again, that was a squishy month. It was still okay. Did not like masks. In fact, it was probably more standard in the media and uh, in government not to like masks for healthy people. I mean, they, they they were invented basically to keep the spittle of surgeons out of body cavities. Right, that's, right, that's, that's what surgical right. masks are for, right? You know, because so that could cause that, infection, right? I mean, it's basically to prevent because bacterial that could infection. cause infection. It's bacterial yeah, right. infection, not viral infection. And and again, right. the science used to be really clear once upon a time <laughs> when there was such a thing as science. Yeah, but. The Redfield is just kind of a classic example of first I say one thing, then I say another this year. And and a couple months ago, he was saying that that masks are more important as a public health measure than the vaccine. Uh, looking at him, I can see why he wasn't cast. Fauci's not a good looking guy, but he's not a threat. And this guy looks like a threat. And so, you yeah, Redfield much... looks like a threat. He also would be a really easy target for saying that the real health epidemic in the United States is obesity. Oh, interesting. The picture Which I've I seen think here that, doesn't show it as much, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fauci is not no. overweight. No. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, kind of zooming through these here. Uh, the Roman Catholics, of course, just the last day and a half, I think, uh, have affirmed that, that you can take the vaccine, even though the vaccine, um, I have uh, now learned uh, the, the fetal cell lines were used during uh, the testing of the of the yeah some yeah somewhere in the process but you don't actually have baby parts in it it's just the process used it to get there um now rome and the the future mafia says well yeah <laughs> we can't die and so we have to be able to take it i don't know what's up with that i most yeah. of what i've heard from people is yeah rome's the antichrist which i find a bit dismissive uh in that i don't disagree entirely but still they have been a very strong resistance to the destruction of family values uh, throughout the world. And in terms right. of pro-life positions, they certainly have been one-sided, I would say. And and this is quite different. So I, I found it kind of shocking yeah. myself. Yeah. I would say the ongoing internal theological and moral collapse of the Roman Catholic Church is not something that anyone particularly should be looking for because they are so large because they affect politics in so many countries, even indirectly, democratically, but often directly in a place like the Philippines, which is a democracy, but it's it's so heavily Roman Catholic. Hmm. No one should be looking for them to completely capitulate on the absolutely morally abhorrent reality of how a lot of things are researched. The other question, and I think this is this is kind of a test, especially for American pro-lifers, is what the function of the pro-life shibboleth is going to be in the future. Hmm. Because, and I, and I say it as a shibboleth because it functions that way, because for a lot of Christians, especially the idea that something uses abortion products, let's say in a, in a most clinical way in order to achieve something scientifically is abhorrent. So the whole debate is about whether or not something used uh, something coming out of an abortion I don't think that needs to be the argument for why you don't have to get a vaccine that was developed extremely quickly for something that <laughs> mutates similar to influenza. Right, 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 right. The difference the difference with like polio is that it mutates much less rapidly than influenza or SARS-2 right. as I as I like to continue calling it. <laughs> yeah, so, I like it. I'm with you. SARS-2. And, and so and so, you know, 
the reason I don't have to get it is for these rational reasons. And yes, that's a moral objection because I don't like lying. Yeah. yeah. Full stop. It doesn't have to be, I think a lot of people, especially on the right, because they don't have power and they have no acquaintance with power, are accustomed to justifying themselves extensively in ways that aren't even convincing to their own in-group. Hmm. It doesn't matter, finally, if I can prove that this or that was or was not done in an extremely rushed research process. Right, right, right. What really matters is whether or not I'm going to go along with lies. Right. Because ultimately, that is personally and socially totally corrosive. Right. Like I was saying before, even small ones eventually build up and everyone's lying to everybody and then nothing works. The bridges fall down. And, and, and if you, you want to see how corrosive it is, just look at the acceptance. I mean, if if I were a, Bo a Bernie voter on February 5th. I'd be so pissed. <laughs> yes. so done. <laughs> yes. Because now they have Joe Biden, who has been working for credit card companies for 40 years, hmm. and Kamala Harris, who has not a single principle to her name, hmm. just a resume of social climbing. Those people are now supposed to be in charge of my conscience. And I have to yoke my sense of America's political future and whether or not we're ever going to get socialized medicine, which just my personal experience as a pastor and otherwise, it would be really helpful. And it is really helpful to the elderly to have it. I don't think we can ever pay for it. <laughs> so I don't think it's actually a good political idea. California tried, they can't pay you know, for there's it. There's this thing that they used to do, like each town had a doctor and like everyone just kind of took care of the yeah. doctor. It was nuts. Yeah. yeah. There you that go. Once upon Crazy, a time, right? of course, there's rules against that now. They'll yeah. shut you down. And we don't, you know, and, and, and it's much less lucrative to be a GP <laughs> than to be like a truth. cosmetic, a plastic truth. surgeon. Oh, right? who's the guy I was watching who came on as uh, ABC's like a medical correspondent, just fresh out of surgery. Man, did he look good. He did not look fresh out of surgery at all. Talk to me. Do you know anything about the Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752 and its Iran connection that has developed through 2020? I got no idea on that one. It... I, I, don't, I don't know about the Iran connection. I do think that the Ukraine, if this is something for folks as they have a little extra time over, you know, kind of New Year holiday time to look up, would be Ukraine as a sort of uh, litmus test for what happens when you have complete disagreement about what political reality is. Because it's a country that in the West has a an ethno-linguistic group that does not agree with the East about how you're going to communicate in Ukrainian or in Russian. They have differing memories about what history has meant, and it has left them endlessly open to manipulation, confusion, and conspiracy. Yeah. And so if you want to look at a potential future for the United States, I would take a look at the Ukraine since the fall of the Soviet Union, hmm. because everything has been up for grabs, and it's really been the site of a lot of international machination political business otherwise since the early 1990s in a way that Russia really has not been since Putin. So I don't know about an Iranian connection. I do know about massive disagreement about what happened with that flight. So that's really something to look into, especially- What did happen uh, with that flight? Well- Is that the one that got shot down? Yeah. Okay. And the question is, how did that happen? And who was responsible for it? And the thing is that- you always get things like this in political situations. I mean, it's, it's kind of a perfect example of civilization versus empire. And there are different imperatives for those things. Hmm. And when the regime has, a has an imperative, 
that will generally be what is propagated even when you're dealing with something theoretically as obviously important as engineering failures in human lives. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I think the existence of conspiracy and conspiracy theorists is more significant than getting an answer about who killed Kennedy. The really significant thing for American history about things that are completely disagreed about upon, such as our most recent presidential election, is the fact that we disagree, not what actually happened in Wayne County, Michigan. Because the, the disagreement, the severe disagreement, the completely different constructions of reality, I think portend worse yeah. for the civilization than whatever the regime is about, the regime narrative is about who actually is in power. Hmm. Everyone's worried about Christians getting violent. And we're like, we're not the ones that are going to do it. But other religions have a history of doing that. You know, really, really, really do. What about, um, do you anything about the arson of 5G antennas? Well, that was that that tracks back again to something. This was this was completely dropped. That five G rollout, which which involves building way more towers than mm -hmm. we needed for four G, is is going to make people sick through the presence of radiation, hmm. and was connected by some people. I really don't find this legitimate, but was connected by some people to actually what is happening with people medically with coronavirus. Oh, wow. Jeez. Okay. Okay. And so there was a time in both Europe and the United States, at, at the very least, where 5G towers were being attacked generally through arson. Huh. And I don't know if that was sort of a meme, kind of like the monoliths that are popping up in different places, which seems to be a viral marketing thing. Yeah, my favorite one of those. I loved it. There's one there like it opens up and Trump's dancing inside it. It's great. It is so good. <laughs> <laughs> That's <is> good. <laughs> but um, the the 5G rollout thing is now completely just happening yeah. and, and no one is discussing so, it. So the issue is they're going to put up a bunch more towers and there's going to be more radiation just in general on our planet. And that'll yeah, be no, yeah, great no for question. us. Yeah, no question. Yeah, and what what is its effect on human bodies? I, I don't honestly really know. I don't know if it's bad, good, could be bad. It's certainly not not been done before. But that, that generally doesn't stop us anymore. Not these days. Oil prices went to a negative, a record low, April 20th. Huh. Gas prices have been down. Yeah. Yeah. Pen Pentagon yeah. confirms uh, UFO 2017. And uh, we had our first manned rocket launch since the shuttle uh, May 30th. I mean, it's been a big year. It has been a big year. I mean, I think every year is a, is, is a big year in a certain sense, depending on how much news you want to consume. I do think that one of the things that we'll be talking about next year, in addition to China, is the discussion of things like oil prices really, at this point, concerns nothing directly having to do with America. And that is pretty significant because the relationship between Russia and China or certain Middle Eastern powers and Russia has a lot more of an effect directly on oil prices at this point than what is happening inside the United States. That if the United States were still what it was as a power 20 years ago, not only would our city centers not be in the kind of uh, just peril that they are from a police standpoint, but also oil prices would be much more something that the American public would be debating or talking about, similar to how we used to debate you know, whether or not we would be on the gold standard. 
And when things go off the table politically in the United States, that doesn't mean that they're not important even to American domestic politics. It just means it's not something that we're even going to be cognizant of. And gas prices are something that average people are very cognizant of because almost all Americans have to drive almost all the time. And the ones that don't are just lying to themselves about the importance of oil prices because all of their food is dependent on right. oil prices. Right, right, right. But so it should be something that we're all very cognizant of and its fluctuations should be something that we're cognizant of. But generally, economically, really all that we're that that is talked about is going to be the unemployment rate. But even more than that, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So that's that's a story that is not so much the year you forgot as the year you probably didn't know a whole lot about ever. And going forward, it's going to be something that unless you're aware of what's going on in foreign countries, you won't have any cognizance of either because they're the ones that matter for the future of things like, you know, the economic development of Africa or the politics of the Middle East in a way that we don't matter nearly so much. Well, nobody here cared about that stuff anyway. We're just busy playing sports. How how does this impact my kid's ability to get a scholarship and get to university so that they can have a good life? That's what really matters for most Americans. Probably not listeners to this show just yet. But then again, these are listeners who probably did want those things last year. And now they're just not quite sure what they're supposed to figure out. That's where I am. So I I posted underneath uh, your, your stuff there. Uh, a link to something from the American Sun, which I didn't know about till you shared th- that uh, as a result from something way, way back. And it was an article on the WASP to MED transformation that I found really useful. Did you see that? Yeah, this is uh, this is painfully personal. I, I found it helpful because <laughs> in my own conversations with my wife about like, OK, how do we think about a different framework for the next, let's hope, 30, 40 years of our life and our kids, yeah. you know, rooting right. here. The only real cultural group we've had to sort of like bounce around is like, well, the Amish kind of do this and the Amish kind of do that. And like that right. works for them. And this is cool. Like, I'm OK with that. I'm, I can learn from the other, as it were. Um, yeah. But but the Mediterranean concept as a mindset that's always been there and never left to me is actually, well, I guess it's less other. It's more homogenous to me mm-hmm. than the Amish, even though I, I would share the ethnicity with the Amish quite a bit more in terms of genetics. Um, mm-hmm. But the Mediterranean concept of uh, single house families over generations that pass on, um, of, of parents uh, teaching their children to do what they did, I, I found that helpful. And I, I look forward to yeah. kind of learning more about that. But you, you said it's painfully close to you. So explain explain that one then. Well, it's painful because even just the acronym WASP, and I, I despise yeah, acronyms. Sure. We'll I, stop. Uh, yeah. The acronym WASP is a is a is a measure of WASP decline. That is, they never called themselves white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. They would refer right. to themselves as Yankees or simply Americans. Hmm. And being called WASPs, especially by kind of ethnically Catholic or Jewish sociologists in the mid-20th century was a measure of that group, which is really kind of the founding group of the United States in North and South, that group's decline in political power. One of the things, however, that that I think masks what has happened with that group is that part of the reason that they went extinct as a power group and largely outside things like the New England Historic and Genealogical Society as a group that is even aware of itself as a people in the same sense that no one in modern day Turkey is calling himself a Hittite is that they were constantly outward looking and in an environment where there are multiple groups 
competing for power and resources, that can, can be suicidal. They were relentlessly universalist. If you look at things like who supported the founding of the UN or the League of Nations before that, unironically, it's going to be disproportionately WASP, Hmm. easily, no question in my mind. And so it's a group that wasn't all that cognizant of itself as a group by and large and has passed out of power first and now largely out of self-conscious existence, even though genetically it's probably still there in many ways in the United States. The shift in mindset is a shift that means that you just behave in a low trust way with people that are not of your group, however you're defining your group, whether you're saying nuclear family, extended family, religious group, whatever it is, I don't trust them. So I don't have to take their rules and their diktats all that seriously if I take them seriously at all. Look at things like tax compliance rates in places like Italy or Greece. And those are not a result of like some sort of fundamental genetic dishonesty of Mediterranean peoples. (laughs) It has to do with really long histories of constantly shifting power dynamics. Right. And the way to preserve yourself when outsiders are trying to tell you what to do and how to think is just to ignore them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I like it. Now here's one. It's my last one that we have on our list has been given us quote from Dan Bongino. But I don't know what the oh here it is. Liberalism is a forest fire that completely decimates every person and institution. In fact, the only endpoint of liberalism is destruction. Uh, liberalism is religion of the imbecile and the dogma of the damned. So uh, I, I don't know. Um, we've talked before about you know these words like left right and, and yeah. liberal. There is Bongino is like to me the essence of right right clickbait, right? I mean, yeah, he's just yeah, he's right. just trying to grow an industry right now. And maybe yep. he's doing it for good. Maybe he's cute patriot and, and you know, go for it, man. <laughs> but what I see is a lot of clickbait and what I see is yeah. a lot of shouting, you know, liberalism yeah. is a social disease, all this kind of stuff, which yeah. y- y- there's a point at which you have to recognize that everyone's crazy, that they're crazy. They are, they're off the wall, bat, poo, nuts. But that doesn't mean you shout about it on Twitter. And tell yeah. them to their face that they're, you know, they are destruction incarnate or something like that. I just don't see how yeah. that really helps. Yeah. Maybe he's saying something better than I'm, I'm picking up, though. So what do you think? No, I, no I, I, think, I think he is totally clickbait. And he's, he's, a, he's an interesting example of something you've seen on the right since Romney, at least, but definitely since Trump, which is I'm on the right. And very unusually, I'm not at least completely white. So therefore, my voice is magnified. Uh, same thing with Candace Owens. And you get to say things that white people really can't say anymore. Which is nice. In such an I do appreciate way. it when they do it. It helps. <laughs> it makes me feel But I think I, I, that, that to me confirms grifter status. Yeah. Huh. Because you are able to make money that, you know, a guy from rural Georgia can't make anymore on the right. Bongino, what Bongino is saying, I think, is completely unproductive because I think liberalism which I will define as is my want historically is a certain political survival strategy inside Western countries in response, especially to religious dissension. Hmm. That is in order not to kill each other. Here's what we're going to do. I don't even identify liberalism completely with the French revolution and its offspring ideologically, because a lot of the things that are characteristic of, for instance, Anglo countries, Britain and her daughters, Canada, the US, New Zealand, Australia, et cetera, is that legally they're set up around the preservation of certain liberties. 
that's not evil in and of itself. No. And Dan Bongino himself probably wants to preserve those it things. He's all about liberty. Right, exactly. The issue, the issue is that liberalism was set up with a lot of other things in place that are completely gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Completely gone is the idea that our society is basically composed of Protestant nuclear families. Well, and that's where the liberalism is a term that doesn't even mean what it means anymore. Joe yes. Biden is not a liberal man, except no. perhaps with regard to his sexual ethic. And Kamala Harris is definitely not a liberal <laughs> person. Um, she yeah. is a totalitarian, if I've ever seen one. Very, very right. strong grip on power. And right. uh, so I, my, my favorite thing you said was just confirmed grifter status. I want that to be the title of the episode, but I don't think I can work <laughs> it in with uh, you know all the rest that we have to fit. But... <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I think I think that it's a what what he's doing is representing a kind of failure to think historically, which is not just an issue about like knowledge of facts. It's also an issue about capacity to think creatively about the future. And I don't think you can do that without knowing about the past. And therefore, you're not going to survive in the future if you don't know the past. And that's why we do what we do here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, well, this is uh, a brief history of power. Two white guys, you've listened this long, you know who we are. And and we aren't that concerned, honestly. Even with propagating our our cool logo and all that stuff, we just would like you to learn how to discern where you are in these crazy times so you can do some more good for your neighbor and preferably help us, what, civilizedly survive uh, the dark winter of 2020-2021. Maybe we'll be back next week. We'll see if the world is still here. We'll be right back.